Hello, welcome to Stacked. I'm Amanda. And I'm Zipporah. And we're two friends who connected over our shared love of books and their power to demystify the world around us. So if you're the kind of person who can't leave their house without a book, or you still remember the first book you couldn't put down, or you love long journeys because it gives you a really good chance to read, then join us each episode as we discuss the books we've read and how they've changed us, saved us, made us laugh, and cry, or even disappointed us. It happens. (laughs) You can find Stacked wherever you get your podcasts and follow us on Instagram at thestackedpod. Hi, friends. How are you? I'm good. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. I'm good. How was your week? Uh, my week was all right. It's been a bit hectic, you know, after like spending two weeks sick in bed or whatever. Mm, mm. I've just literally had this one week where I have to now all of a sudden. Live. Yeah. <laughs> I'm like, oh my God, I have so much stuff to do, like life mm, admin and mm. everything else. So that's mainly what I've been doing, life admin. So much so, I actually haven't even been reading. I haven't been reading much this week. Uh. So sorry, guys. But... I have been still enriching my soul with music. Renaissance. Yes. <laughs> you will make my soul. <laughs> and that's exactly the energy that I needed for this week. I Unique. Was like, this is break. Unique. <laughs> I'm not letting this week break my soul. Yeah, I've been listening to Renaissance over and over again. And at this point, it actually came out months ago. And yet, I'm still running it up. I listened to it late. Did you? But... As soon as it came out, I was listening to it. And I haven't stopped since. Like, I'm in bondage, mm. basically. It doesn't it feel like bondage. Oh, I'm happy to be there. I feel like I'm in heaven. Or yeah. like, <laughs> you know? The fact that I have continual access to it. Yeah, is, is amazing. Yeah. So, yeah, I've, I... Yeah, what have you been up to? I've been, lis- like, listening to Renaissance, mm-hmm. working, nothing interesting. Mm, like, okay. sleeping, working, dancing to... Re- bust it, bust it, bust it. That's it. <laughs> yeah. That's it. And oh, I did. I read a short story. Oh, okay. Yeah, I read this. I feel like you have already read it because it? it's weird. What it's is a it? short story. It's called The Suit. I think it's called The Suit. And it's a South African story mm. where this man, he walks in on his wife cheating on him. Ooh. And as he walks in, the the guy she's cheating on runs out the window in his boxes <laughs> and he leaves the suit. Mm. And to remind her of what she's done, he makes her carry it around everywhere. Like the when suit. The, the suit. And when they have dinner, he'll make her put the suit in the chair at the table with them. Yeah. And I think one time they have a party and then he's like, hey, well, I guess the one is missing. And he makes her bring the suit from upstairs. Oh. And she's begging him, like, please, like, not here, not now. And he's like, no. <laughs> <laughs> bring, bring him. Yeah. <laughs> guess of honor. Yeah, it's really. And then in the end, I don't want to read it for you. It's mm. really good. Mm-hmm. Read the suit. But today... Today is today. about today is about Sula. Honestly, I feel like it deserves a drum roll. I know. Can you? <laughs> today is about Sula by Toni Morrison, mm-hmm. and it's a story that follows two black women friends from their adolescence to adulthood in their black community, all black community mm-hmm. in uh, Medallion, Ohio. And it's one of those stories that doesn't really have an obvious plot line, but explores some of life's biggest questions. At least for me, I, mm-hmm. I felt that way. And I feel like it challenges us to confront false binaries like good versus evil, Mm. individualism versus community, Mm. feminine versus masculine, Sula versus nail. Sula versus nail. Sula versus nail. (laughs) Um, So yeah, I can't, I'm I'm so excited to get into this book. Yeah, so am I. Obviously we love Toni Morrison. Mm. I feel like everyone, I don't know anyone who doesn't like Toni Morrison. Neither do I. Not anyone who's read her anyway. I genuinely can't. You might have your faves here and there, but yeah. I don't think I've ever heard anyone say, I don't like Toni Morrison. Yeah, no, I'm the, the the biggest fan. I remember reading... I just feel like everything she does is fabulous. Mm-hmm. Like, I was reading on Twitter this woman who had gone to one of her book signings, mm-hmm. and she brought two books for her to sign, and Toni Morrison said, I'm only going to sign one. And then the woman starts complaining, and Toni Morrison is pretending like she can't hear her at all. <laughs> yeah. And then she gives her back the one signed book and says, your, your audacity is fascinating. Take the world. And I just think, <laughs> of, of course, yeah. We call that a literary read. <laughs> <laughs> but also, like, in, how am I encouraged and shaded all at the same time? Yeah. See, that's the thing. Like, her command of, like, the English language, or just, like, words in general, I feel like is so incredible. She's so intentional mm. with, like, language and... 
everything that she does that it's amazing. There's um, like there's not a single word, sentence, whatever that's ever spared or you know goes to waste. Hundred percent. Mm. And one of her good friends, and I just became obsessed with that. When I found out that she was one of Toni Morrison's best friends, I became obsessed with her immediately. Mm-hmm. Fran Lebowitz. Ah, yeah. Yeah, said mm-hmm. that Toni Morrison. They were best friends. Or they like they spoke friends? on the phone every day. Really? Yeah. With Fran Lebowitz. Yeah. It changed everything for yeah, me. But Fran is actually very amazing yeah, as well. of course. Yeah, incredible But Fran used to say that Toni Morrison is the wisest person she's ever met in her mm, whole life. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And I I believe it. I see it. But yeah, this is the 49th anniversary of Sula. It was mm. written in November. I don't know the date exactly, but it was written in November. I think 1973. I meant the day date. Like oh, yeah, like the actual November. day. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah, but this is the 49th anniversary mm-hmm. and i'm Coming so up. i can't believe it's so relevant it's just it holds up so well like still to this day standing up straight mm-hmm. mate mm-hmm. and it's i don't know which book it is actually which number of her books it is i think it's her third one it's her third yeah okay, it's her third i believe one. the bluest eye was the her first, first book. for sure yeah i know that the bluest eye like imagine just coming out the gate with the bluest eye there's a line in that about how cinema infiltrates into like teaches us what beauty is mm-hmm. and I just it lives in my mind yeah run free god I love the blue side I can't believe that yeah that was her first book and she started she, I think it was published when she was 39 mm. oh I yeah. love when people have stories like that yeah because I feel like so many of us get to like you know 25 and you feel like if you haven't done it now you're never gonna do it ever yeah yeah like and we tell that to ourselves all the time so I love mm. hearing stories about people who achieve great things like later on in life. And even the story of how she came to the point where she said, I'm going to write, Mm. so inspiring to me. She said that one day she was really stressed and overwhelmed with work and children. And she was like, I'm going to write to do this. And she writes a list of what she needs to do for work, what Mm. she needs to do for her children, what she needs to do as a sister, as a daughter, all those things. And she says it's take pages and pages. She's like, I'm going to be here forever. So she stops. Then she writes a list of the things that she wants to do. And that list is a bit shorter, shorter, but still too long. Mm. So then she writes a list of, okay, what do I need to do or I'm going to die? And the two things she writes down is be a good mother and write. Mm. And then she said everything she did from there was to be a good mother or to write. And I just think, well, damn. Yeah, that's a pretty powerful list as well. Mm. Be a good mother, write. Short, sweet, yeah, <laughs> effective, clearly, yeah. So yeah, let's let's jump in. Yeah, let's get into it. Okay, so tell us why you chose this book as your Toni Morrison pick. I read it really recently as well. Mm. I think maybe a month ago, two months ago. I think. When I like an author, I just want to read every single thing they've written. You are good at doing that. Yeah, so I started doing that. I did Bluest Eye and I I bought Songs of Solomon, but I haven't I haven't started it. Mm. Don't know why. Mm-hmm. But then Sula was small. So yeah. I said, let me let me start small. But I started big. And I I hit gold. <laughs> like I, I struck gold. Well no, that's why I started reading it. Mm. Why I chose it was because and I'm so happy I read it late. Mm. because it's the kind of book where if I read it as a teenager what do I know about choices yeah what's freedom mm-hmm. it's just yes mummy no daddy like yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like there's no you don't yeah so to to read this now where I am in a place where I'm thinking about who I want to be and how I want to be that person mm. I feel like that's what Sula gave me I have almost the same kind of experience as you because this is my first time reading it mm. of course so I completely agree about what you're saying like if we'd read it and like at any other point in our life it might have had a different kind of effect but then like reading it now at this stage in our life like you're saying we've got so many choices um on what you're going to do what you're going to do next what you're going to do next year um, how it affects the people around you and all these are the kind of like choices we're having to make at the moment that Sula would like really resounded like the themes that they explored. resounded yeah, resounded or resounded it was sounding off my head oh. <laughs> a word choice <laughs> I would <laughs> but yeah like I completely agree with that which like leads us on to I think the first kind of like talking point what I really wanted to get into which is like this freedom question mm. what is freedom to you I think freedom to me is being able to 
like live what I know. Mm. So if I know that healthy eating is good for me, actually being able to implement that. But no, I think it's that though. I think it's that being able to live what I know. Mm. I like that, being able to live what you know. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And sometimes I feel like there's things that get in the way of that, like I said, Mm -hmm. like being a people pleaser, sometimes trying to make money, Mm. sometimes insecurity. So yeah, I guess being being free has something to do with being brave Mm. and yeah. Yeah. Because, I mean, what's that thing that Nina Simone says? What is freedom? She says, no fear. Right? Oh, okay. No now fear. I feel like I've got it then. <laughs> if Nina Simone agrees with me, yeah. then I think I've got something right. I love that clip and the way in which she says it, just with so much conviction. It's like, mm. what is freedom? No fear. Mm. You know, no fear of, like you're saying, I think it feeds into what you're saying, right? Because mm. being able to do what you need with what you know Mm. and not being afraid, Mm. you know? Mm. And I think with Sula, especially with Sula, I think that's exactly what she was trying to emulate. No Mm. fear. Mm. Not fear of the community, not fear of other people's opinions of her, not fear of losing or of death even, it seems. Which is one thing that I really, like, stuck out to me about Sula. And her need for freedom. Because it felt like it was a life or death matter to her. Yes. You know? It's like it's either I'm free. Or I'm dead. Or I'm dead. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) And I need to be free in the way that feels free to me. It didn't feel like that in the beginning. Mm -hmm. In the beginning, I felt that she wanted this structure. Mm -hmm. And... Uh, Because she was envious, kind of like Nell's Mm. more kind of traditional more structured upbringing like as you're saying yeah but what is freedom to you then what is freedom for me i'm gonna have to copy nina simone you know and say no fear and that means also making decisions and being able to move in a way that isn't informed by my fears or my insecurities or my limitations whatever those may be I think that is what I would say is freedom. But I don't think that I would ever be kind of like as obstinate with it as Sula is, where it's like she wants to be so free that she doesn't even want to be beholden to the people that love her or like her loved ones. Do you know what I mean? I do, I I do. I still believe in a sense of accountability. I think because with, like, both Sula and Nell, they're just both on, like, such extremes when it comes to the the way in which they want to, like, live their lives. And I don't think either one of them were happy on either extreme, like, Sula living for herself and Nell living for her community or even, like, to narrow it down for, like, her husband and her kids. And it still feels like there was some kind of, like, middle ground that was missing for them where the actual happiness would have been. For both of them? Yeah, for both of them, I think. Yeah, what do you think? Do I think she was happy? Do you think she was happy? I do. Mm-hmm. I think that with the kind of life that she was living, there were always there was always going to be a pay-off. Like, mm. a, what, is it a pay-off? Or, uh, basically, like, a, the co- consequences. Mm. And I think that... What was so bold about Sula was that she was prepared to live with the consequences always, all mm. the time, ready. And I think maybe happiness is a word that makes us think of, you know, like mm-hmm. <laughs> happy-go-lucky kind of thing, cheerful. But I think she was, she could stand by herself yeah. or like stand on her name. Like, mm-hmm. I feel like, I think she was happy in the sense that she was consistent with herself. Mm-hmm. A hundred percent. I mean, what is that thing that she says on kind of like her deathbed? She says, I've lived. <laughs> she said, I've lived a life. <laughs> you know? Oh, yeah. She says, I sure did live in this world. And, you know, and one of the reasons why I was saying when we spoke a bit about it before, could I live like Sula? Really, could I live like that brazen about being myself? Mm-hmm. And being for yourself primarily. Yeah, I... I feel like I would also be dead soon mm-hmm. because I think it would involve a lot more drinking. 
it would involve a lot more things that I because I feel like she took pleasure I think it says she no I think it meant she was, it refers to sex but I do feel like she took pleasure when she wanted it as and mm, when mm-hmm. and I don't know part of the things I think hold me up are my community and my family and the kind of restrictions that I place on myself I didn't feel that she had any of those mm-hmm. but like she really is it I'm here for a good time not a not a long time <laughs> and I feel like a lot of these restrictions that we do have on ourselves, oftentimes they do come like from your community, though, don't they? Mm. Because when you think about it, what kind of limitations do we really place on ourselves if we're just living for ourselves? If a person is truly just living for themselves, then what parameters do they place or what? That, I mean, there's one bit where she said that she only does things for people if their pleasure would bring her pleasure. Yes. Mm. And... I feel like as as a as a woman, often you're trained so that other people's pleasure brings you a lot of pleasure, mm. like serving and mm. doing all those things that you feel good about. Mm. I feel like you're trained to feel good about doing that. I remember when I was younger, when I have three brothers, so when I used to eat, Sephora knows that, but I feel like I could tell you guys. <laughs> I have three brothers, and when I would eat, when I'd be eating, my dad would say, "Have your brothers eaten?" Have they eaten? And I, I said, do they know if I have? <laughs> because like, and then, so like slowly they were training me that if, if I was going to think about eating, I should be checking in. Are you guys hungry? Do you guys want to mm. eat? And that, and I, for that behavior, I would be rewarded. Mm. And so surely as I would grow older, I would start to f- do that because mm. then that would make me feel good about myself. It's complicated though. It's very complicated. This whole like discussion of like individuals. Because I do care if my brothers eat, guys. <laughs> But go ahead. <laughs> like, I, I do want my brothers fed. <laughs> but I'm sorry, they can feed themselves. But also, someone should ask about me. Yeah. So I really liked your point about the false binaries that you mentioned, like, in your little book breakdown. Particularly, I think, this kind of, like, good versus evil binary that's presented in the novel with kind of Sula representing evil as the town people see it and then now representing the good. Yeah, let's talk a bit more about that. It does feel like Sula is made to be the villain mm, mm. and that Nell is made to be the angel. Mm. But at the same time, Toni Morrison is so amazing that even when we arrive at the point where everyone's like, Sula's a villain, we know that she isn't. Mm. But somehow, but also, we're also looking at her like, some of the things she does, if she did them to us, would we live with it? Mm. But also watching her in the book, I don't know, I have a sympathy for her. Yeah, no, same. And then even, you know, when the great betrayal happens, which she won't say because, you know, trying to be spoiler-free, but when the great betrayal happens and she essentially poses to now and is kind of like, if we're friends, then why couldn't you get over it? Which just goes to show that, like, all of these things that she does that the townspeople think are so evil and so et cetera, et cetera, she, I think you mentioned this earlier, she thinks that their relationship should be above that right yeah like she thinks that their relationship is above such like petty matters and i think the problem with sula and what kind of makes her a villain to these people is that she doesn't place as much importance on the things that the community deems to be important so in her kind of like separating herself in that kind of way she's creating a situation where you can be kind of like oh we're this and you're that it felt like they needed her to be evil so Mm. that they could be good and there's a pit in the book, I think, where it basically says that their conviction about her, the nature of her mm. and her being evil brought them closer together, made them better people. There was someone they could point a finger at and just, like, distinguish themselves from. Okay, so, like you said, you read this mm-hmm. very recently for this. Mm-hmm. What were your first impressions? What did you think? Well, obviously... Off the bat, I was super excited. New Toni Morrison. Well, not new, but new to me. <laughs> I know her. Yeah. <laughs> I've seen the name before. New <laughs> to me. So I was, like, really, really excited. And then when I kind of, like, read up a bit on the subject matter as well, because I love books that explore female friendships or even just female relationships in general. Period. Like, female friends, mother-daughter. I love all of that. So I was really excited to, like, see that, especially from Toni Morrison's, like, kind of viewpoint as well, because, you know, I stan. And I think my first, like, big, kind of, like, first impression was just, like, the writing. The writing was so good. 
And we talked earlier about how it was like published like almost 49 years ago. It still just holds up today so well. I think even like with the subject matter, like what she's trying to get into. And I remember like reading an interview with her. Or maybe it was just like an article about her, like at a certain point. And it said something about how she was fond of saying that she uses her writing to argue for an idea and then shows you why that idea is wrong. Yeah, I feel accurate. Yeah, right? It was very accurate. So, like, I really wanted to see kind of, like, how she was going to approach the subject matter, which I really enjoyed. I think especially the way that she set up, like, the dynamic between Nell and Sula was, like, really, really intricate and really interesting. Ken, one of the things I think is really amazing, sad, dark, but sometimes it feels like Toni Morrison is saying that the way that we're brought up... Mm -hmm is going to be damning or... What's the opposite of damning? Well, it's going to be... Our, it's, like, inescapable. It's going to be our downfall. So, like, there's a there's a line in the book where it says... And I bet I can't find it. Oh, it says that Nell's mum... Mm-hmm. Any enthusiasms that little Nell showed were calmed by the mother until she drove her daughter's imagination underground. Yeah, I remember reading that. How are you supposed to think about being free? Yeah. If... And then... Yeah. And then Nell turns around and becomes her mother. Like, more or less. Yeah. So that was... And it's funny because also in that way, Sula more or less grows up to be like Hannah and like her certain attitudes about certain things. Yeah, exactly. Huh. Huh. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so yeah, that was like one thing. But do you feel that way? Do you feel that how we're brought up, if that's it, there's no, you're probably going to be a certain type of way. Yeah, I don't think like that's it, but I do <laughs> think you are you are going to have to be a certain way. Because unfortunately, when you're brought up a certain kind of way, that just means that's how you're wired, like how your brain is wired, and you have to do good, actual, focused work to really unlearn some of those things. Because it becomes innate, literally. But then that work is so hard because you're brought up by find your parents. Then you're brought up by society. Mm. If that society is racist, now then if your society is classist, mm. all those things are part of who you're going to be, who you are. And I don't know, it feels... I'm disappointed that that's probably true. Yeah, it's disappointing. And it's, yeah. <laughs> I'm disappointed. Yeah, it's disappointing. But, I mean, you can always still kind of do the work. The only thing is you have to be aware. I, I honestly think you can only change a few... Th- I think it's so hard to change. Mm-hmm. I think you can change a few things one at a time, sometimes incrementally incrementally yeah but yeah that was something about the book that I feel like who they were gonna become was so like weaved in yeah but yeah so what is that like what is the term for that again like predisposition predisposed like what is that what how you're brought brought up no like how it's like you can't deviate from what you're going to be essentially predestined yeah yeah yeah. oh no that's it the other thing that i really loved about sula was that there was like quite a few things in there that were like reminiscent of beloved to me and beloved is my favorite tony morrison book and i love it we're getting into that soon we'll get into that at some point but i love kind of how tony morrison does this thing where she'll weave these kind of strange and fantastical kind of happenings Mm. into what is otherwise just normal absolutely normal life can we we're not going to talk about Beloved now but there's a line in Beloved where she just says something that is so fantastical but as if she said I'm just drinking some water yeah literally it would be like oh you know and then the dead girl crawled out of the river just like that and then it's just like yeah In a gold dress. In a gold dress. No one asks questions. (laughs) So I love that. I'm not going to lie. I love the whole like magic realism thing. That actually feels like something that happened in Sula. Like when she sets her son on fire, pours the gasoline over him, sets him on fire. And Mm -hmm. then Hannah sees her. Yeah. And no one says anything. Mm -hmm. No one does anything. No one says a thing. And then a while later... Hannah is just magically on fire herself. Where did that come from? Hmm? Feels like karma. But yeah, I love that. And then also, I really like, actually, something that I think isn't explored enough. I really loved what she did with, like, Sula's birthmark. 
Yeah. Yeah, like the... I think I realised at a certain point as I was reading like through it that different people actually described it as different things, mm. which is what I thought was so interesting. It almost acted as like a Rorschach test for, like, you know, the inkblot test? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that when you show people. To show, is it to show you th- your mental state? Yeah, essentially, oh. like mm. just from whatever you pick up from it. And I think it, like her birthmark almost did the exact same thing because at different points and by different people, it's described as a rose, a tadpole, a snake. You know? That's my fave. No. Yeah, yeah, no, no. <laughs> so, like, now we'll look at her. She, I think she'll always describe it, like, as a rose. Yeah. Which speaks to their relationship and, like, the love that they have for each other, right? Yeah. Shadrach looked at her, like, as a child and he described it as a tadpole, which also speaks to kind of, like, the way that he viewed her, like, as a child and whatever else. And the townspeople will look at it and they see, like, a snake, which speaks to... How they see how her. they see her and how they yeah. project this kind of like evilness on her. So yeah. I just thought that was like such a great little detail. Yeah, and so interesting. It's the kind of book that if you kept reading it, you would just yeah keep excavating more, more and more from it. And which is what I think Toni Morrison does all the time now. Like you can read her books at different times and come away with different things. Yeah, which is just chef's kiss. Love that. I think in, like, using Sula's birthmark as, like, a kind of motif that speaks to the way that other people view her, I think it also just emphasises the importance, especially for Sula, of, like, self-definition. Since people are, like, constantly projecting these things onto her, I think it's, like, extra important for her that she is able to, like, define herself. And that's why she finds so much freedom within that. Yeah, and -hmm. I think another really good point to that is that it's really important that you don't let other people define you because there's a snake, a tadpole, and a rose. Yeah. So who am I then? Look at those differences. Yeah, exactly. And so if you don't define yourself for yourself, you can be anything to anyone. Mm. And so I think that, yeah, I love that point. So, let's talk about what other people have also thought about the book. We reached out to you guys again to hear what your impressions were. Let's start with Dr. Javonte. Okay, so I read Sula in college, and of course, my favorite character is the eponymous character herself, Sula. And I was drawn to Sula because Sula really represented another framework for thinking about blackness and identity that I was not quite accustomed to, right? She was not the black person, let alone black girl, who was supporting her community, respecting her elders, standing by her man, right? She was not this kind of person who was in some ways subservient to her community and to those around her, right? She was really endlessly in pursuit of defining herself or herself, however beautiful and dangerous and we might even say reckless that pursuit was she that's what she was about and so at that point in my life I really needed to see that form of representation because you know as a black queer person from Jamaica there's a part of me that always wanted to compensate for my queerness by you know getting a good education supporting my community in hopes that they would love me in hopes that they would you know care for me and 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 not harm me right but then a part of me after reading sula was like so what if they don't right who are you how do you define yourself for you and are you going to be happy with that at the end of the day right and so I, I often think about Sula as, you know, a more modern parallel is SZA and SZA's control and how messy control is, right? She's singing about cheering her men and wanting to be a normal girl and the very turbulent 20-somethings. And so I think Sula would have really related to that, uh, that complicated representation of Blackness. And so, yeah, Sula's one of my favorite characters. Uh, for her boldness and for her refusal to let go of her individuality. Yeah, I feel that. Yeah, I felt that very deeply. And I think that's exactly more or less what we were talking about just before. Mm. Of like, you know, her 
the importance of defining yourself and the importance to Sula of that. And also the th- the thing that uh, Dr. Javonte says about about deciding to live for yourself or your community because mm. one of the, when I read it, one of the first things I felt. I felt so like I wanted to be Sula. Mm. And I didn't feel like there was anything wrong with her doing what she wanted to do. Mm. And I think as a black woman, sometimes choosing yourself, when you choose the community, sometimes it feels like you're the only one who's doing that and everyone else is just piggybacking over you. Mm. And there's this quote by Ocean Vong. He says... Oh, I love Ocean Vong. Yeah, Yeah. we need to get into that. But he says that a woman on a sinking ship becomes a life's raft no matter how soft her skin. And I feel like that is a thing. For, like, black women in in the black community, sometimes it feels like, okay, I'm going to choose you guys, but are you guys going to choose me? Oh, speak on it. And I think more than anyone, like, we should be living for ourselves. Mm. And sometimes living for ourselves does include, I do care about other people. Mm. (laughs) Like, other people's pleasure and well-being does make me happy. But I think, yeah... Also, myself, myself being happy and having a good time it's makes me even happier. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> My happiness makes me even happier. <laughs> no, I completely agree, especially when you put it in the context of, like you're saying, black women within the black community, how we are taught to just sacrifice for the sake of the community always. And how when you turn from that, like Sula has done, you're obviously just immediately vilified. We constantly be the backbone, you know? I'm not soft, My how soft my skin is. Like, <laughs> I'm not built for it. Yeah. I want someone else to be the life raft, not me. I know. Let's take it in turns, I think. Yeah. And then it, then I can get down with the community. If, yes. If we all help out, yeah. then it's good. <laughs> but if it's just going to be the mum, the sister... The, the daughter, wife. the wife. Yeah. Then people are going to get tired. Yeah. Then I'm turning to Sula. <laughs> Any minute. <laughs> but I think I think definitely I wanted to take parts of her. Yeah. Yeah. I completely agree as well. There's definitely that kind of living for yourself element to her that mm-hmm. I would like to take on for myself. Um, because I love that even at the end when... She was dying alone. Is that a spoiler? I think we have to spoil it. And I don't think that's that big a spoiler. Yeah. She died. <laughs> <laughs> but even towards the end, when things aren't working out as well for her and she's completely alone, and then now comes up to her and she says, you, you see, you shouldn't have lived like this. Sula's like, yes, I should have. Like, I love that even in that moment where people would have felt like, okay, cool, now we've gotten her down. Now she's seeing the error of her ways. She said no. Because what's the point of 10 years of sacrifice for just one moment in death my community comes to me? Exactly. Exactly. So I loved the strength in that to be like, no, I am here and this is where I wanted to be. And what do you think about Scissor as a modern day Sula? <laughs> Scissor as a modern day Sula. I love that connection so much because as soon as he said it, Your I was man like... Is my man is her that's her man too like literally as soon as he said that I was like I actually see the connections Mm. I see exactly what he means about the kind of the messiness of it because there's one line in the book where okay so talk about this this guy who falls who's like likes her Ajax and one of the things he likes about her is that she's inconsistent Mm. and I always berate myself like she has no habits like he he admires that about her and I berate myself for being inconsistent but sometimes being free means being inconsistent Mm. because it means that you're not gonna do things just because because you feel like you need to even when you don't want to Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. like if i did everything i wanted to do whenever i wanted to do it i I don't know what you'd call me (laughs) (laughs) so so i love that analogy to scissor do you feel like we have any other modern day sulas none that are currently coming to mind no i can't think of any either yeah no I think oh, we all got have... a lot of nails, though. Oh, and it's true. And Why you... do we have a lot of nails? Because that is the community, and you know, divesting from community is hard. So facts. Well, let's also hear what Kine had to say. Sula by Toni Morrison is one of those really powerful, even life-changing stories, right? That centers 
black women trying to make the least sucky decisions for their own lives, if that makes sense. Like, seeing black women as, you know, being human beings and having to make the really difficult and impossible choices that all of us as human beings have to make, you know? Is it, am I leaving or am I staying? Uh, am I going to marry or am I not? Am I going to live my life for the community at large or am I going to live for myself? You know, what will make me feel the least unfree? It's a beautiful book. Really, really beautiful. I love that. I think this, that's really true. I think that we, especially when you, as you come into adulthood, it feels like the choices you make the repercussions become more and more severe because you almost feel like you're running out of time. Mm. And how do you make least suckiest decisions? <laughs> it's a tough one. And looking at all the characters in, in this book, like one thing I thought was really interesting is that whenever someone left, Tony Morrison never told us what happened what to happened them. To them. Mm. They just come back, Eva without a leg, mm. Sula with, <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> and I want to know. <laughs> I want to know. Oh, yeah, even without a leg, Sula with nothing. So, I mean, but I don't know. Sula came back feeling more powerful to me. She came back, you know, dressed to the nines at the yes. very least. Yeah. <laughs> at the very least. I wonder why she did that. What the. Yeah, I don't know. There's something about the mystery that I really enjoyed, but mm -hmm. I don't, I couldn't... Like what she did when she was out there? Yeah, I really wanted to know. I mean, I feel mostly all that she said is that she was searching, though, wasn't it? Mm. Or like she was just kind of going around, going around. Going, oh, yeah, around, yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, what do you think about that, that making... What do you do to feel the least unfree? I feel like I like that qualification. Like, she doesn't just say, what do you do to feel free? She's mm -hmm. the least unfree. Because mm. I feel like there's an understanding that we're never really... Like, free. Free, free. Yeah, yeah, free, free, yeah. So, the least unfree. I would say that what makes us the least... Or what makes us feel the least unfree would probably be, like, informed choices. And I think that's one thing that Sula kind of has over now. Because she's left the bottom, she's left Medallion, she's kind of gone out there and, like, tried to see what could possibly be out there for her in this, you know, post-World War One world, like, as a black woman in America. So I think she's very aware of, like, all the choices that she has and that are open to her. So I think it might be a point where she's gone out there and she's seen that, actually, she doesn't have that many choices. And that's why she's come back to the bottom and, you know, it's kind of like, this is just it. Mm. Whereas, like, I feel like with now, the one time that she left their town, like, Medallion, was to go on that one, like, train trip with her the mother yeah, the at funeral. the very start of the book. And she never leaves it ever again after that. So it's like, how free can her choices be when she doesn't even know what's really available to her? And I think that that's one thing that really almost weighs on not like weighs on her mind but is one thing that might be like adding to her feelings of constriction okay yeah yeah i think it adds to her just personality because if you've lived a life that is you know lived in a box mm. let's say that's all you know that's all your references mm. yeah. yeah so i think you're right and that's why the community continues to have like such a hold on her Mm. because really it is all that she's ever known but then what if you're someone for example who doesn't really have ambition mm. and you actually just want to be in your community and you don't want to know anymore you mm. just know this and mm. you eat and you sleep mm. and you fuck what is yeah does that that is that not another way of being free is Nell not free because she's chosen to stay or just because she's not really chosen to stay yeah she's not really chosen her to mother stay. chose that for her yeah exactly and i think that's where the difference is she's not really chosen to stay she just kind of has no option but to yeah first because you know her mother and then because she goes into a marriage she has kids she has responsibilities she has all sorts that really take some of her choices away yeah yeah, so I wouldn't actually say that she's chosen to stay, which is why she's so happy when <laughs> Sula comes back. I mean, let's listen to Bain do. Often when we think about 
relationships that we see depicted or we read about in books or on TV, specifically between Black women, it can range from these very like familial, close relationships that you have, and then also some adversarial or very confrontational relationships, competitive relationships. And we rarely see it as nuanced as it is in Sula, and we rarely see it stretched over time. And I think when you think about the friendships that you have and the friendships that I have specifically with Black women and how it's changed since I've been at uni versus now as an adult and the ways in which it kind of wears and tears and then builds and grows and the type of home and family that you find with Black women and Black friendships is really important. And it was just really great to read in Sula about a relationship that seems familiar to me, a relationship that I can relate to and something that reflects the way in which I feel about Black women, the love that I have for the Black women in my life. And that's reflected in Sula and her relationship with her best friend. I think Bandu was onto something with that one, especially thinking of the dynamic within their relationships, right? This kind of like interplay of like they love each other, but then also at the same time, they seem to be in like weird competition with each other. Although I have to say, I do think it was a one-sided competition. I was just going to think say that. Yeah, I don't think Sula felt like, oh, we're in competition, but I feel like Nell did. Maybe because, like, as we were saying previously, she's so much more aligned, like, with the community and their values. It was important to her because she knew kind of, like, what Sula's image was that she presents as, like, the... The good... Yeah. The, the good, good one. person. Yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah, like the good one. And I think what's really interesting about what Bandy said about the wear and tear of female friendship is that, yeah, is probably a weakness on Nell's side. But one of her strengths is that in a crisis, she's really good. Like when Sula's mum dies, mm. Sula says that Nell was amazing. And yeah, when they're about to get beat up by those boys, I'm sure Nell was scared when Sula did what she did, trying to spoil it for you guys. <laughs> But she she saved them. I was scared and I was just reading it. So I don't know. I love that, you know, friendship is not this thing where it's just we're besties and we don't fight and there's not aspects of your character that I don't like mm. or I'm afraid of or, you know, but I'm still going to show up for you on your best and worst days. So I, I love that depiction of friendship. And that's why the end made me so sad yeah. when... Nell's walking away and Sula's like, she's going to walk away and she's only going to think about what it cost her mm. and not that we, at one point, were, is it one throat? We had, we were two throats? Or we had, we had one throat, one eye and no price. Mm. And I feel, I feel sad. But then also I get it because what Sula did, I don't know that, I don't know anyone who could forgive it. I don't know. Especially like with no kind of remorse. No remorse. No remorse. Not an ounce. She of said, it. "And what? <laughs> and, and now wh- what? And whose problem is that? <laughs> Sounds like a you problem. <laughs> I'm still me. I'm still your friend, basically. Yeah. yeah. She was literally like, "Are you still talking about that?" <laughs> <laughs> um. Oh god. But yeah, even at the last final moment, Nell was there. They were yeah. together, mm-hmm. and as she's you know as the book ends Sula is still thinking about Nell and so for me that's friendship yeah I think in both of their last moments in like Sula's last moment she's thinking about Nell and then in like Nell's like last moment in the book she's thinking about Sula isn't it when she also realizes that all this time she thought she missed her husband when really she's been crying for her friend oh and that's that yeah and that's that on that Okay, so now it's time for our favourite part of the podcast. It's Book Recs, where we want you to think of us as your book agony aunts, Mm. as the poor likes to say, your book fairies. Here's a book request. No, the book request we have today is for a 28-year-old woman who is in constant denial of her increasing age... This feels really intense and I really relate. (laughs) Struggling to accept that her 20s are coming to an end without love, 
financial security or any assets of note. Oof, same sis. She's looking for a book to reassure her that everything will be all right, but is adamantly adverse to self-help. Did I send this in? (laughs) I actually believed you just then. (laughs) (laughs) Could you imagine if it actually was? Oh, but no, honestly, I am also adamantly adverse to self-help. Can we talk about that that away from me? Can we talk about that before we get into the recommendation? Yeah, let's do it. I feel like... You shouldn't just throw it out. Is it the baby with the bathwater? Yeah. <laughs> I actually think that self-help books are not... Some of them are really bad, but there's some tips in there. I mean, yeah, but I'm you do... not trying to hear it. But you are. You just want to hear it in that package. That's yeah. the thing. And I'm not trying to hear, like, 300 pages of it. But you shouldn't think... read them that way. I think you should just be like, oh, like a... You know how you read a textbook? Mm-hmm. You don't read it. Mm-hmm. You just look for the bit that you need. Yeah. Yeah, that makes sense. And I feel like if you approach it like a fictional book, then you're just setting yourself up for failure. <laughs> so 28-year-old woman, that's the first piece of advice. Don't write off self-help books. Okay, recommend a good self-help book then. For this in particular, Peak. Okay. Peak by Anders Ericsson and Robert Paul. Ah, uh, yes. The reason I say that is because they're really advocating that no matter what age you start at, if you start at 70, you can become really excellent at something mm. if you put in a little bit of work every single day. Mm. And there's so many examples in that book of people who have become champions when they started professions at 70, 50, mm. 40. And yeah, I was, I found it really encouraging. And I, I'm not drawn to self-help books, but I need help sometimes. <laughs> so what am I going to do? <laughs> I, re- I really recommend that. But then if you really hate self-help books, then for me, I think Zami by Audre Lorde is the best for this. I feel like in that book, nothing, it's not about, she doesn't, it ends and it ends on a really good note, but she hasn't made any money. She's just f- fell out of a relationship I think, yeah, she was actually cheated on. She finds out that someone she loves is... Am I ruining this? I'm ruining this. <laughs> <laughs> but I mean... Read Zami. Zami's like a bio-mythography, right? So oh, yeah, you can Google this. Yeah, like, yeah. this is public information. This is public information. But basically, by the end of the book, you would think that everything is terrible, but actually she's happy because she's gotten to a place of acceptance, mm. of understanding. Mm. This woman had about... 2p she runs into her friends in the street she says she invites them over for dinner and buys flowers for the table she has no money but because life is it's not always about having money and having everything all together it's sometimes it is just about standing still taking stock Mm. being grateful and then thinking okay what am I gonna do now Mm. and from this point even if I have nothing there's still hope for me yeah so I recommend Sammy and 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 peak and peak yeah i think you nailed that right on the head i was kind of stumped with this one i'm not gonna lie not exactly stumped but just kind of like i didn't know which avenue to take with this Mm. uh you know where it's like a thing are we aiming for like acceptance or are we aiming for growth but i think you've actually those two recommendations covered all of that That everything is going to be all right yeah everything is going to be all right and even if it's not it's not the end of the world And now, back to Sula. Let's talk takeaways. Mm. I think for me, two again. Mm. Two, I mean, I need to choose one one day, but two today, take two. Away Amanda. Two takeaway, Amanda. <laughs> <laughs> the first is the writing. The, this is some of the best, most luscious writing I've ever read. Mm. And I've read it maybe three times since I read it for the first time, just so I could live through that again. <laughs> <laughs> Just to be in awe of it. Just to read those I'm not going to... Like, I mean, if I had... If we had the time, I would sit here and read every one of my favourite quotes, but we don't. <laughs> so that. Number two, it's just that I need to define my life for myself mm. and by myself. And that... You know how in, when you're in primary school and in high school, you have a timetable, the bell rings, you switch, you go here, you go here. But as you're an adult, there's no timetable, there's no bell, there's no... Figure it out. Yeah. Decide for yourself. Otherwise, other people will tell you yeah. who you're going to be. So I think there's, like, I don't want to be Sula because I think it's too pure the other way. Mm. So I want to be a mix of Sula and Ava. 
and nail. Mm, I'm not sure about nail. I think don't, when, don't do nail like that. I don't have a problem with nail, but I can't say one thing. That's not true. She was good in a crisis. She was good in a crisis. She was good in a crisis. she was good for Suna at the end as well. And in the end, she did show up. Yeah, so, she yeah, always showed she up. She always showed up. But that's, sometimes that's a problem. But yes, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so I want to be like a mix of, of all of them. And I think that Toni Morrison just gave us so much to choose from. Yeah, so much food for thought as well. Mm. I think my biggest takeaway was actually this whole thing about like the individual versus the community, right? But then also especially, specifically, about how community can be just as damning as it is like affirming. Yeah. Depending on what you guys are communing over. (laughs) (laughs) What I mean. I think we always think of community as being like this absolute positive because, you know, like humans, we're social creatures. We thrive in communities. But then there's also the danger that sometimes you can almost like trauma bond, but not exactly like trauma bond, but like you are stuck together because of very, very negative factors. And then because of that, you're just kind of like reproducing them and like none of you are really lifting yourselves out of it, which is what I think happens a lot with like the townspeople of like Medallion. Yeah. Where they're like bonded by all this trauma and suffering and are not exactly dedicated to lifting themselves out of it. They would rather kind of just... Bitch about it. Yeah, There's exactly. a, There's actually a line in the book where they say they, they just did nothing about it. They just li- watched her. Yeah, exactly. And then it's because Sula is full of action. Sula is full of, you know... She's She goes against it so much and they hate her for it. they they hate her for it so yeah that was my biggest takeaway that not all community is exactly the community that you want to be in yeah that's going to be the end of our episode today thank you so much for tuning in and we've just we're loving this so far aren't we amanda (laughs) i love it i love it i can't wait for the next (laughs) (laughs) just keep coming yeah we love having you so please keep tuning in and next week we are talking about the joys of motherhood by Bucci Emanchester. I love, love Bucci. Yeah, I think that's another one of our shared, like, shared favourites, actually, Bucci Emanchester. Yeah, I mm. mean... What a woman. What a woman. We could get into it now, but, you know, then what would you come back for? Sorry. <laughs> In the meantime, you can find us on Instagram at the Stacked Pod. Please join our book community. You can follow me, Amanda, at Amanda Afwa. And you can follow me, Zipporah, at Black and Bound. This has been Stacked. And remember, people, reading is what? Fundamental. Fundamental. (laughs) Stacked is part of the ACOS Amplifier, in collaboration with CC Co. The executive producer was Iwan Obinyan, with production by II Studios.